Hey, what's going on guys? Came here from the Hustle Fund Project. Today we're back with episode three. Today we're sitting down with Andrew Perry. We're going to be chatting about all things real estate, his come up story, and just business in general. So yeah, buddy. With that being said, Andrew, we've had you a couple times on the podcast. Let's go ahead yeah. and just introduce yourself. Tell my following who you are, kind of, and what you've done so far. All right. Well, my name's Andrew Perry. I'm the founder of That Fine Life Method, founder of the Fine Estates team. I run two offices uh, for Revel Realty. I'm a director at the company as well. And uh, yeah, father, three, wife, that whole thing. That's me, baby. It, how long is it taking you to do so, all this? Uh, everything? Yeah. Uh, legitimately in the real estate business, only five years. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're thinking about it on the larger scale, how did my mindset get to where it was today? Man, that's... 35 years in the making, baby. years in the making. Well, so like business-wise, <laughs> yeah. you, started, you yeah. started in real estate. What were you doing then before real estate? Anything specific? Uh, yeah. So right directly before um, real estate was, uh, you know, sales at LA Fitness. And we've told that story a hundred bajillion, mm -hmm. billion times. Um, but, you know, it really did set up the mindset, the personal care that I put into the business and how I was able to design the business plan slash structure that was basically modeled um, off the LA Fitness platform, which was, you know, you have your VP of sales or your general manager of sales, and then you have your uh, VP or your general manager of operations or your director. Uh, and then that way, you know, you have somebody in place in control of both sides of the business, the back and the front end. And then that way, you know, everybody knows what they're doing and there's no overlap and, mm -hmm. and all that kind you of stuff. You never run into any problems. Salespeople should focus on sales. Yeah. Um, and admins should focus on everything else. Mm -hmm. I find a lot of people who, especially non-entrepreneurs, are not really good at juggling different jobs and stuff. So maybe you can handle doing nine things, different things, because you can jump from thing to thing to thing yeah. to thing. But no, like if you could set up a team that way, um, you're definitely mm -hmm. going to grow successfully. So when did you kind of switch from more of a solopreneur um, to the business owner then? Uh, so my first year in real estate uh, was, you know, so I've actually experienced four different markets in these five years. So when I started, it was the tail end of 2016, 2017, which was um, like the first big boom mm -hmm. in the Niagara or Ontario real estate, I guess you could say. And um, so, you know, I was hit with a fast paced sales environment, you know, no conditions, blah, 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 blah. Kind of everything that, uh, you know, Josh Perry would have started with. Um, he was on your show a couple of days ago. Um, and then it went dead, which we're mm -hmm. experiencing now. So, I went from this cocky, high ego solopreneur, like you're saying, um, to like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I need to get a side job at the brokerage. <laughs> I was asking everybody, you know, what could I do? What could I do? I was designing Photoshopped yeah. uh, headshot pieces for people too, um, which I wasn't actually taking any money on. It was based on a long-term play of value over time that I was providing for agents in hopes, you know, for future business from them. Um, and then... That paid off real quick. So by my second year, I was getting very, very busy. I think we're, uh, you know, my first year, I think I made did 14 sales or whatever um, in a city where I didn't know anybody, by the way. Mm -hmm. And then my second year, I think we increased that to like 17 or 21. I can't really remember the exact uh, units. 
And from there, I was like, okay, I realized that the way I run the business, which is heavily focused on marketing and branding mm-hmm. and, you know, referral based is that I couldn't, you know, I was going from house to house, showing to showing and, you know, I had videos to post, I had, you know, content to write and I had offers to write as well, which right then and there, I knew that I couldn't fulfill my level of service that I needed to the clients and to myself, really, mm-hmm. um, where I had to go and, and find an admin right away. So by the end of year two is when I started, you know, um, started that team environment. Uh, and then that's kind of led us to where we are. So my biggest question, because most people don't see this and from business owner to business owner, what was the home life like then at that point? Was there any home life or was you just work, 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 work? I think that's kind of why most people start teams is to get their life back. Yeah. So how how was your life then? It was very hectic for, uh, me for sure. And now, you know, it's flipped over because we only had one kid. Mm -hmm. So now, and then, so Gabe could actually still work and all that other stuff. Uh, and then now we've got three kids. So she's at home with all the hecticness and, you know, I'm, I'm at work. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it, it was, it was one of those things where I said yes to everything. And I think everybody should do that in their first year, by the way, I think everybody should be saying, yes, working Saturdays, working Sundays, trying to fit it all in because mm-hmm. as a salesperson, as a business owner, because I mean, at the end of the day, real estate is a lonely business. You know, the um, <laughs> nobody's coming to save you. Even if you're on a team, you still have a responsibility to yourself to hold yourself accountable. And if you're not taking these opportunities every single friggin' day, especially in the beginning of your career, honestly, it's going to take you so much longer to grow. So look at what I've accomplished in five years. And I did that by hustling my butt off year one, year two. By year three, I was starting to pick and choose my clients. By year four, I was starting to pick and choose the times that I wanted to work. And now my clients, their needs are kind of based on my hours Mm -hmm. plus our services that we offer. Mm-hmm. So in order to do 14 deals like your first year, like you were saying, um, were you an entrepreneur before? So how did you get into like such a hustle driven mode? Like were you time blocking still at that point? Um, tell me about that. Story. No, I was not time blocking. No, no, I wasn't. I was flying by the seat of my pants so, I mean, is, is what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I was realizing that I needed to hire somebody mm-hmm. because the organizational piece of the business just wasn't there. I am, so I'm the type of guy that, you know, I, I, I could miss 20, 30 days of school, show up for the test and still pass 70, 75%, whatever, like not like an overachiever mm-hmm. for sure. But I knew the content, I knew how to f- problem solve. And that's kind of how my first year in business went. Mm-hmm. It's not like I would miss 30 days, but it was more of the fact that, you know, I knew that whatever I needed to do, I'll, I would get done. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to you know, structure my day in a certain way. But I realized as I grew, that mentality is not the proper men- mindset for growth. It sounds like you knew how to manage that stress properly where you were like, I'll be able to take care of everything when it comes, just like kind of push it off, push it off because there's nobody there. So Correct. like switching then, um, you brought on an assistant. Kind of what did that do? What, what type of time did that free up for you? So um, it was a buyer's assistant. So she was licensed to sell mm-hmm. as well as, um, you know, she was in the office every day. So uh, the reason why that was to my advantage, to my uh, perceived advantage at the very beginning, is because I could, you know, pay her off of every deal that we did together. 
which in theory makes sense. Um, but you know, in the beginning, if you're not doing 50 deals a year, so you're not doing a deal a month or two deals a month, then there's a lot of downtime. There's not, you know, there's a lot of weeks where she's not getting paid. And as a young mother, it wasn't necessarily working. So we had to bring in a small salary and we had to figure that kind of out. However, it was working to start build the foundational systems in which you need to grow. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was, um, it was, it was definitely, um, advantageous at the end of the day. Um, but you know what, there was a lot of problems with it as well. For sure, for sure. Okay, so then diving back deeper into this. So then before real estate, before your sales job, mm -hmm. um, like what made you so comfortable speaking to people, would you say? Is there anything? Like I, I say you're a bit of an entertainer, as yeah. most people don't realize about your personal brand. Can we can we hear about those stories and, and yeah. your past life? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, we're, it's, it stemmed from me being, you know, two, three years old with a turkey baster in my hand, you know, singing uh, Charlie Pride or... Tracy, Chap Tracy Chapman and, you know, like all these uh, 1980s uh, <laughs> songs that my mom would crank on Friday, Saturday nights. And I would take them, uh, you know, what I've learned from the uh, those nights to the dinner table the next day with my turkey baser, you know, uh, butt naked, you know, stuff like that. So so I was no stranger um, to the attention. And mm -hmm. that just kind of built and build and build over time to where, you know, it led me to go on stage. I think my first time on stage was grade seven. Wow. Grade seven playing guitar. And then like, did they do speeches at your school? Did you have to write a speech? I think we did do a couple of different speech? speeches and then you do, did it in front of your class. And if you're and then, good enough, you yeah. go in front of the school. Exactly. Yeah. So I, we did that, um, went in front of the school. Um, and then that was kind of it. I was hooked from there, you know, mm -hmm. especially playing the drums. Uh, and guitar at uh, at school, and you know, one day my dad wouldn't let me take the uh, use the drums, so uh, I convinced my mom to pack up the drums, put them in the truck, bring them to the show, play, pack it back up, and, and set the drums up before you got over. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, that's how much it was important to me. I wanted yeah, to be you're passionate about exactly. It. I want and and you know that it led in through high school where we did you know as part of the drama club part of the comtech where we'd create videos mm -hmm. we recreated the Comtech. jackass series <laughs> and um you know it was anything for attention but it was also um it was also just fun to me to do mm -hmm. those types of things and then that led uh to a successful quote unquote in my mind a successful a music career mm -hmm. and so you know we were traveling we were going on tour we were in the studio we were doing music videos uh, we were able to work with some really, really amazing bands and open up for them. Um, and then that led into a solo music career where we actually did a music video for Much Music, got on Much Music a couple of times. And, you know, it was just that burning desire for um, attention that mm -hmm. led me into the sales uh, role. And, and then I think what happened there was that I was so comfortable with just talking to people. So I had already been just, meeting new people and talking. You know, my mom was the same too. My mom would be at the grocery store and just strike up a conversation with, with a stranger. Yeah. So people would tell me that all throughout my life. And then I, it just kind of, you know, built into my DNA, I guess. I honestly would say like, that's probably 60 to 70% of sales is just being willing to talk to people. Like so many people are like, well, why, why aren't I getting business from this stuff? It's like, well, are you talking to the people? Yeah. This will generate conversations. Content makes you look super comfortable and super approachable, mm -hmm. but then when somebody comes up to you, are you going to start a uh, start a conversation? Or are you going to chat with them? So that's, like, that's very interesting. You say that because 
every event that, you know, when we first worked together um, uh, at the buzz conference, uh, the first one, um, they, uh, everybody would come up to me like, wow, you're, you're the same person mm-hmm. that you are online. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, okay, I hope that's a good thing. But it's just one of those things where, you know, if people always ask me, do you prepare? I'm, I'm like, oh, honestly, I don't. I, I prepare and I, I, I just, I prefer not to have questions prefer, prepared or I mean, maybe I should, I can't even talk right now um, or presentations and all that stuff because I feel like if you're passionate about something and you're, you know, you're living it every day, it's very easy to talk about. And I think that comes off in the branding and the marketing that we do so that by the time people get in front of me, they feel like they already know, like, and trust me. Mm-hmm. And it just makes that conversation or whatever we're doing that much easier for them as opposed to, you know, seeing somebody who's kind of inauthentic. Well, I feel like if you were on stage giving me the exact same uniform speech, it would be fake. Like you're going to be yeah. like burnt out at the end. But like if you're telling me a story that you've never told anybody, first off, like the 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 people watching are going to feel super um, just amazed that you're telling them this story. Mm-hmm. Second off, like your passion is going to start coming out. And like yep. the energy is going to start going up. And then the energy is going to be passed on to the audience. And then you're going to be asked to become, you're going to be asked to come back and come back and come back just because your story is so original and they're so different. And they're so specific to like what that question probably was that somebody had asked you in the show. Cause I know a couple of times like we've been on stage and people ask you a question and you go on a tangent and you yeah. just go and talk about it because you're so passionate about it. That's the, right. The question. And I love how you just said that because. I would prefer, I mean, I do like being on a panel, uh, although I would prefer to, to headline. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I prefer to have some type of uh, engaging presentation in where I'm, I have my information that were, that's designed to, you know, explain a subject to people. But I, I prefer to leave it open for questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that doesn't always work, though, because I was just uh, invited to speak at a, a smaller, smaller gathering. And, you know, I, I was like, OK, guys, like I'm here. You've got me mm-hmm. for 30 minutes. What type of questions about content do you want to know? And nobody said, nobody even put up their hand. Mm-hmm. So in those situations, it's good to have a backup plan. So I kind of went into how I post. And, and the problem is, is that, you have to understand the audience. Are you talking to a beginner set? Yeah. That's the problem with doing, being in a position like you or I, who's doing content all the time, and then mm-hmm. you get put in a position at a larger conference and people want to come see you. But the problem is, is that depending on what the event organizer wants you to speak about or, or you know, how they've kind of presented it to the audience is that you might get a room full of different people that are in different positions in their content Mm -hmm. journey. So it's like, you've got half an hour and how do you make it valuable for people? So I just kind of went into how I post, how I repurpose content, you know, the different ideas, my top five pieces of content that you can implement today. And, you know, I saw one person leave in the back and they're like, oh shit, I I wasn't really expecting to hear this guy talk about this. I, you know, this is pretty beginner stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting. But like, like you said before, I would prefer if the audience and I would engage because then you can just you can go into whatever they want you to say, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I honestly like, I like to say like whenever I'm performing, as you say, or like talking in front of people, I always like oh. to go down to the basics because those 
1% of people who actually know what you're talking about, if they want to ask you a question that's going to, you you and them are only going to know the answer to, yeah. like that should be a paid consultation. Like yeah. if they know that much, like it should be some sort of professional consult where like if you can help a general audience in mass with something super, super basic where they can go home and implement that right away, it's going to start their journey and they're probably going to get motivated to do more and more because yeah. of how easy something was. So I like to take things down to the basics just to get that motivation sparked because you can't you can't reprogram everybody's brain, but you that's can right. you can motivate somebody and you can get somebody to start thinking in a specific way. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, like we've spoken in front of hundreds of people and and five people, mm -hmm. and you know, at the end of the day, I always log off and just say my Instagram. That's mm -hmm. it. Um, in some instances, I'll actually be like, "Okay, guys, I want you to do something right now for me. Pull out your phone, yeah. give me a follow, and I'll follow you back." And so, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, no matter who's asked questions, who's engaged. Some people are a little more shy. Um, you know, some people uh, have an ego as well and they don't want to, you know, um, start asking questions. At the end of the day, we'll, we'll get 10, 20, 50, 100 followers from each presentation. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they'll start asking questions in the DMs too. One, one little PSA I'd like to add in there is like most people don't realize this. And like when we're at events filming, most people are filming from afar. I like to get right in on the subject, yeah, like you speaking on, on, the, on stage because... Nobody's going to remember that day like the same way as they lived it, but everybody's going to see that content in the same way. Yeah. So I think that's the most important thing is just to make sure things that are being filmed so they can be repro reproduced for later. What about DMs? What do you think about people cold DMing you? Does it freak you out? I see a lot of people who no. aren't big on social. They're like, I, I don't want to DM this guy. I don't want to scare him. I don't want to freak yeah. him out. I want to bug him. Like, what do you think of these cold DMers? No, I, I, I love it. I look at my, the only problem with Instagram though, is it's so confusing. You have your inbox, your general, your request, and then you're hidden. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? So I got to check four different messages? What? So that's the only thing that sucks. But you know what? Hey, if you're not following me or I'm not following you, there are processes in place that Instagram takes so that, you know, it's not like spam. But mm -hmm. I can see them anyway. So I don't know. Anyways, doesn't matter. But I don't mind it because I look at all of those. Yeah. I can tell by the first three words if it's a spam account. Mm -hmm. How are you, dear? Just or, by the photo or, yeah, or their username, really. Exactly usually. that, too. So, but I look at them all. So if you're planning on cold DMing me, that's awesome. Let's, let, like, I want to see it. Um, it, it all just kind of depends on what you are, uh, what you you're are, selling, what your who you are, what, you, what you're selling. Don't like. sell anybody. That's the biggest uh, thing exactly. is if you're going to DM somebody, never try to just sell them in that yeah. first message. And I don't care how many... Can I swear? Yeah, go for it. I don't it. care how many fucking coaches say, okay, open up with this great engaging line. Hey, Andrew, do you do commercial or just residential? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Here we go. <laughs> I know what. I know exactly where that's going. Oh, yeah. No, I do commercial too. Oh, okay. Great. Because I actually work for VaynerMedia. No, VaynerMedia has never contacted me, by, by the way. Uh, and uh, we sell leads. We're looking for the number one agent. We're looking to, um, mm -hmm. you know, build a, a, a relationship with that one agent, exclusivity in your town. And we really like, it's like, oh, my God, dude, I have leads. Mm -hmm. Like, cool. Like a 18 year old kid. Um, I don't want to suppress anybody from trying, For sure. but you know, it, it's, you can't just DM a thousand people saying we're looking to work with one eight. Like we know, 
So I don't know who, what coach started that, but. So that stuff works, but let me tell you guys, because I was there. That's how I met Andrew. I cold DM'd Andrew and he responded within five minutes and here we are. We built mm -hmm. the business off of it. But basically you can cold DM somebody, but try to provide value to them yeah. right away. Because like, if you can do that, then they're going to be con confused as to who you are and why you message them. Like so many times I'll message people who just watch my stories and mm. watch the newer stories. So if I post within the last 30 minutes, I might say, Hey, to anybody who's watched that story. Mm -hmm. And that's not because I'm trying to sell something to them. I'm just trying to start a conversation and thank them for watching my content because they're, then they're, their question is going to pop up in their head. Like, why is this guy DMing me? Like, why has gray media messaged me? He's not trying to sell me. Like, what does he want? Mm -hmm. And then they're going to go through my page. So I kind of do that just as like touch points with people, just because I appreciate them watching my content. I appreciate yeah. them watching my stories every single day and I'm trying to get them to come back every single day. So the best way, the best way, my number one piece of advice for anybody out there who's, you know, looking to start those relationships and kind of crack the uh, window, so to speak, to that opportunity is start commenting on their posts. Mm -hmm. Start commenting. People see those. Uh, you can even start, um, you know, I always send a clap emoji. That's kind of my thing. Okay. Um, you know, so send a, you know, a reaction to their stories. Yeah, that's start good. there. The more and more you comment on my post, uh, the more and more I'm going to see your name, the more mm -hmm. and more you start replying to my stories, then, you know, I start to recognize, okay, this person has been engaged, you know, for the last couple of weeks, maybe there's something there. And sometimes I'll even reach out to them exactly. after that. Right? I do the so exact sometimes same thing. the account will actually reach out to you and be like, hey, thanks for liking my stuff, man. I really appreciate it. So now let's do a little bit of a high level tip. So, so for anybody who's got about 4,000 to 10,000 followers and you want to DM somebody with, 50,000 followers plus, are they going to see it and are they going to respond? I know that you talk to some bigger influencers on social. Yeah, they, How hard is it to communicate with them? I don't see it difficult for me just because when I, I guarantee you that a lot of those big people that you reach out will go and check your profile out. Yeah. So if you haven't sorted that whole thing out yet, then the likelihood of them responding to you is probably lower. Um, I'm not saying you need to go out and, uh, um, you know, create some type of awesome looking grid. No, just build a personal brand. 100%. And is it clear who you are in your uh, Instagram bio? Mm -hmm. That's very, very important. Because if I just see dog lover, um, real estate is my life, or, you know, stuff like that, it's, it doesn't do anything to tell me who you are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or if, you know, a lot of people put like a wifey or a husband to, I'm like, that that's really good for you. But in the business world, if you don't make it clear who you are, I can't waste my time to find out. Okay. I'm busy. I'm not going to go through your stuff to try and figure out why is this person DMing me? I don't do that. You need to make it clear in your Instagram bio. Cause I will check that out. And I think that's why I've been able to connect with, um, you know, uh, now my boy, Matt Cottrell you know, million followers on Instagram. He mm -hmm. started on Vine. This guy's huge. We had a um, a mutual, uh, relatable, um, what's the word, you know, thing that kind of attracted me to him was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm looking at my nails because uh, like uh, he does emos not dead. So he paints his nails black. He puts his emo thing on. And, you know, he does video skits to old emo songs. Mm -hmm. I reached out and I'm like, dude, you, you you've, changed, you've changed my life. <laughs> and the reason why is because that was such a big nostalgic um, piece of content and moment for me to connect with that I just reached out mm -hmm. and I told him that. I said, look, 
I'm uh, born in 1987. I, I was in a band. Taking Back Sunday's album was like my first pop punk kind of, you know, experience. And I love how you just did their song. And keep going, buddy. You've Any connected of- with him on a different level now. Like exactly. Somebody who's messaged you like that, you look at them as friends. You're not looking at them as a follower. One hundred percent. You you know that they're like they're the in the crowd. Like I could tell you something that only you would understand, like, right? About that specific. And niche. and you can tell when you've just done a video and you're like, okay, are you fishing for me to share this? Mm-hmm. So that's important too. And then like um you know uh who's some other big bigger people that I've like Brad Lee we've spoken yep. um he's he's awesome Glenda Baker um you know uh it, it's just it is I wouldn't say easy to do but it is an opportunity opportunity that you can actually start working on but you've got to play the long play you've got to provide value you've got to like engage share that kind of stuff message as many people as possible like if you want to get a response back if you message 100 people in a day i guarantee you one of them will respond with maybe a basic response so let me throw a couple of questions at you now so personal brand somebody like gray media reaches out to you now never dms you before and says hey i want you on my podcast and then another company media company doesn't have any posts yet but says media company has a logo up has a hundred followers DMs you, hey, I want you on my podcast. Uh-huh. Who are you trusting? Who are you having on first? And who are you responding to first? Oh, well, definitely the first one, obviously. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I want to see that there's some type of established business there. However, I am not going to discount the second account either. Mm-hmm. I want to see what's your studio set up. Are you providing us the content? Are you repurposing it for us? Are you providing the captions? Are you cutting it all up? Like how how does that look? Where's the value? I'm I'm not I'm not gonna go on a Zoom or a um, virtual podcast interview unless it's an established podcast, an international podcast, mm-hmm. something that is you know getting a lot of attention. Because um, if if the audio is gonna be crap and the and the video is gonna be crap. At least I know that the interviewer is going to be asking good questions. Mm-hmm. If it's something like this, we can kind of, um, it's more valuable for the person that you're reaching out to for sure, mm-hmm. number one. And, you know, this whole environment, you know, helps bring certain things out, you know, just because you, you feel like you are kind of performing yeah, for under sure. these lights. Oh, 100%. And I would say now then, you're going to have like a bunch of people DMing you asking to, to shoot, shoot a podcast with them. That's but okay. That's totally fine. So, for someone first starting out in business then, any sort of business, I would say more so B2B business. That's who sees bigger success with social mm-hmm. right away. What would you do if you were starting a business to business business right now with social? Oh, okay. So before I even DM them, um, and again, there's not no perfect way to do this. You can DM them, but the, uh, the chances of you asking a business to film or collaborate, especially if they already have a media company or a realtor, another business that they're working with, they might, hey, you know what, thank you so much. But we're actually, you know, we're working with uh, Andrew Perry Media over here. Done, does We've been with him 10 years, he's great. So what I would do, um, what I would suggest is just to show up to the business, buy a product, review the product, tag them. Mm-hmm. So that way they don't have an opportunity to say no before they've watched 
the content that you're going to do for them. If so you're that, if you're a, that good, you can sell them like that. That's one thing that I would like. I when I first started didn't realize this. So when I first DM'd you, like I DM probably ninety other people, and I was like, "Hey, buddy, let me create a free video. I don't care what it is. Let me just make it. And let me blow you away." I didn't realize the power of relationships back then. When most people would be like, "Oh, I have a videographer." Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, "Don't worry, I'm better." It'll mm-hmm. be better. And they just shut that off. They don't even say yes to the idea of it because yeah. they, they already have a videographer. But I know I'm better than them. Mm-hmm. And if I bought your product, created a sick-ass video and blew you away with it, you're going to DM me and say, how much? And yeah. now I'm winning. You're not, you're, not, you're not in control anymore. Exactly. It's so, about attracting the people that you want to work with. It's about showing your value and understanding your value to have the confidence to pitch those mm-hmm. bigger people. Because teaming up with somebody who has an engaged following, it doesn't even have to be a large following. It could be 5,000 followers, 10,000, whatever. Or it could be very, very big. And those opportunities can be immensely valuable to you. Mm -hmm. And then from, so you have 30, just over 30,000 followers right now. Yeah. Of those 30,000, how many DMs are you getting a year to actually produce business? Is it under 1,000 probably DMs to actually create business? You don't need... Like from like a real estate standpoint, like how many yeah, people like, are- Yeah, like a lot of people think you need to be getting hundreds of DMs a day to get business. You only need one or two DMs yeah. in the course of a week. Of course. And that's really a, all it is in terms of direct, hey, Andrew, love your content. We're looking for a lifestyle uh, community up in Muskoka. Do you have anything? Um, hey, Andrew, we really like your content. You know, Do you work with investors as well? Yeah, absolutely. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so those direct or, hey, Andrew, I've got a client looking to buy a Niagara on Lake. Can you help? Yeah. So those direct DMs are about, yeah, you're right, one to two a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but how many DMs do I get a day? I swear to God, if I sleep in or I go up to my cottage where there's no um, service, I have you know a couple hours go by and I go and I'll try to get some service somewhere. You know, I'll have 10, 20, 30 a, DMs. We hopped on a plane. We got delayed for what, three oh hours. God. And when we landed, how many messages did you, I feel like your it phone was, was almost dead. It was, yeah, it was over a hundred emails, at least 20 to 30 text messages, at least 90 plus Facebook is, <laughs> uh, notifications. For sure. And at least, you know, 50 comments, few new followers, and, and like a couple hundred likes for those notifications. So your eyes get good at sifting through all of that. Oh, yeah. Seeing and just the, the golden nugs. Exactly, exactly. And the problem is, is, is that's why I'm on my phone so much because <laughs> I personally respond to every single comment. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, when you said message 100 people a day, I do kind of agree with that, but I also don't. And the reason why is because it's easy for the person who's doing those DMs to be like, Oh, I just want to get this done. I just want to get this done. And then the way you've asked a question kind of comes off in that message. So 100%, I agree that one way. In one way, to me, when I'm sending cold DMs, the way that I'm thinking of of this is like, I'm making way more money than if I was working at a Tim Hortons. And if I was at Tim Hortons right now, I know that I would be making a new coffee every two minutes. So I prefer sitting on my every couch. Every two seconds. Basically every two <laughs> seconds. Every two minutes they'll create, changing a pot, doing something like that. Yeah. I'd much prefer sitting on my couch, sending a genuine DM, checking out somebody's profile, learning about them, and then sending a message and seeing. Yeah. It's like it's like fishing to kind of to see who responds and build traction. That's how you kind of have to look at it over just sending the DM out. If you're one of those people who just like sending the DM out, you're not going to have success with it. If you enjoy the process... You're going to be able to do it every single day much easier. So you like comments. You like responding to comments. I can't yep. stand doing that stuff. That's why I outsource it. Yeah. Well, everybody says, so who runs your Instagram? 
And I'm just like, well, which one? My business page. And when I say business page, I don't mean my personal business page. I mean our teams and our mm-hmm. brokerages. I say, yeah, we got a mince to do that. Oh, well, but but who does your Instagram? Me. Like, <laughs> um, I know that takes up a lot of time, and I don't need to respond personally to each comment. But you know, I don't think anybody can do it as fast as me, and anybody could do it with the right. Response, uh, right response stuff. that people are like, hey, yeah, that's Andrew. It's your personal brand. It's you. Like I'm, I'm still the same way. Like my DMs are me, always me, because like I can, I can convert just a basic hello just by looking at their profile, realizing they're this bigger Instagram account, and then sending them the right message. Yeah. Like some, some sales guy I can't train a sales guy to think the way that I think. So I think you, you, you have, you have your head, you have your head in the right space. I feel like there's a couple of little things that you can do to train your account to start growing with virtual assistants. But those main responses, that main communication needs to be you because you are the brand. You are that personal brand. So posting yeah. to your stories, I know you do that about 25 times a day. What about like going to conference spaces? What does this do for, for business, especially so like a realtor? And what, and what do you mean? Like what value would going to a conference do for oh, connecting yeah. with other realtors? Oh, would you say? I know you go to a lot of them. Yeah, it's massive. It's massive. And the, and the main reason why is because um, if you are doing what you're supposed to be doing on social, you know, engaging and all that other stuff with people's content, it gives you the opportunity to meet that person um, in person and create a, a physical relationship now that you've actually met each other. Because sometimes your relationships online can be so strong mm-hmm. and seeing that, you know, relationship flourish in person, it just kind of solidifies that foundational um, aspects of growing that relationship into something stronger. And that leads to referrals, Mm-hmm. which is 85, 90% of my entire business. Mm-hmm. So the opportunities that you get from going to a conference is huge. But again, it means nothing if you're not going out there with purpose and it means nothing if you're not doing what you need to do every day on social either. You need to be a very sociable person too. That's one thing that I would say. So well, well, I'm very introverted. So a lot of people will pat me on the back and say, oh my God, it's Cam from Gray Media. Then four other people are looking at me and then asking me questions. And I'm yeah. like, I don't like that. But you, uh, you're really you're really, really good at that. What, yeah, what but do you think? That's a really, <laughs> so here's the thing. And a lot of people have this conception of me. And they're not wrong, totally. But I can go on stage all day. I can literally be up there for hours talking to thousands of people yeah. and I could just not stop. I yeah. love it. I could do these podcasts and TV interviews, live TV interviews. You know, I do some reporting work too, just for fun. <laughs> and, um, true. but when I go to conferences and I'm walking around, I can only do that for an hour yeah. or so. I start getting very anxious. Yeah. And once I've made the connections that I know that I kind of went there to make, my brain's like, okay, now there's a hundred people around you. And it's just like, now I got to walk through these people. People are stopping me. And I do get a little bit of anxiety and I can't handle it. So the two days in a row, I I can't really do that. Three days was crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll do my day, I'll do my few hours. And then after that, like, like I said, I could speak on camera for hours, speak in person for hours. But when it's like a one-on-one conversation surrounded by hundreds of people, it's it's difficult it's, for me. Tired. And I'm like, get very overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, thanks guys. That's great. Why did Andrew only stay for a couple of hours? 
Well, he can't handle it. Yeah. He I love like the buzz conference. I find like, and I'm going to put them on the spot. Like we go there in the morning, you do your tour around. Yep. It's super easy that way. Then you can go back to your booth. If someone wants to talk to you, yeah. they're going to come talk to you. Then you can go speak on stage. I love that idea. But I find like we went to a couple of other conferences recently. It's just three days of just straight touring the same thing over yeah. and over. Same people, same like things happening, same restaurants. Like, yeah. Get tired or we get burnt out pretty yeah, quickly. Even as the content creator, like I'm filming the same things every single day. So conferences are definitely valuable to to network, like you were saying. Um, but also to to meet the people who are watching you, but don't overdo it. I would say, like, don't try to pull content out of something that's not worth it. Like yeah. we recently were trying to shoot some stuff and yeah. we just weren't in the right mind space. Yeah. Like, would you put those pieces of content out? Would you say? It depended. It depends on how it kind of turned out, mm -hmm. but it really, if it's something that goes against your brand messaging or something that's, you know, not in line with how you would normally act, I'd say no. Yeah, don't force any comments. Yeah, exactly. Because people don't want to say, oh, why is he, why does he look and sound like he's, you know, depressed or something? What's going on? He looks tired. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just not, you know, what I am. It's just those events can burn you out, man. And then you get negative thoughts from those people about you. And yeah. it's just not exactly what you want. But have you ever been in like podcasts or have you ever been on a show where you had to change who you were for for that audience? Or would you do that? Or have you done change that? Change who I am? No. How, do I get fucking surprising information before I've hit a podcast interview up? Yeah. It happens, you know, more than you'd think. Like even this morning, something kind of hit me right in the morning and you know we don't need to talk about what it was uh because we'll get it all sorted out by the time but you know it's just a piece of information that really pissed me off i'm like fuck. i'm like are you serious mm -hmm. and you know i'm pretty good at taking that for the first 30 seconds 60 seconds and digesting it and then moving Shutting on off kind of thing. yeah yeah or i've even had it like where i've looked at my watch and i'm like and you just I, I know, like, I, I put my phone on airplane mode 90% of the time that I'm on a podcast. But the one time I forget, and you're like, oh, my God, what did that just say? And you're like, shit. And you continue on with the podcast, and all you can think about is that. So Yeah, yeah, I've been there. And then, like, yeah. you, 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 like, you your screw up, and then you're, and you're super like, focused on that. Yeah, yeah. You forget yeah, about the good. question you got yeah, asked, and you're I like, know. oh, would you ask me? <laughs> no, I know. So we're going to wrap up this, the, the show here. But before we do so, I'd love to just ask some more stories, some story yeah. times then. Um, like, what has been your craziest business, craziest business experience so far then, up to this date? Oh, yeah, okay. So I, we had this house. Um, client was... Um, a very, very well-known uh, builder, okay. um, very well-known. And, you know, he kind of retired, sold his shares or whatever. Um, house was stunning, beautiful. Huh. The house today would sell in a matter of days, at, you know, almost three million at that. At the time, it was listed with another agent at two, uh, just a couple of years ago. And then, you know, when I took it, I was like, you know, it's really only worth one five, one six. So anyways, we took it and because the property was already listed at a higher price, they, it, after that happens, that's why pricing is so important because it really does affect your listing. So anyways, we remarketed the property. We did a vlog tour with a top agent in town. So again, there's another thing like Matt Campoli says, you, there's no competition in this industry in my mind. It's it's co-opetition. Um, his 
words, not mine. Um, and, you know, we toured this top agent around. We got a great response, good engaged video. And it took months and months. We had a ton of, sh- we had not a ton of showings, but we had some showings over the course of the next six months. And sellers getting stressed. I was getting stressed because we've done everything we could. And finally, we get this person. It's a husband and wife. They're coming from Stony Creek, Hamilton area. Um, represented by a Stony Creek Hamilton agent. Uh, he was a great guy. And, you know, they they saw the house. They wanted to submit an offer. And it was full price. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's amazing. That's great. But something was off. Okay. I'm like, full price? It's been on the market a long time. And I know the house is beautiful, like I mentioned, but that's, that's odd. But yeah. we said, okay, yeah, no problem. $100,000 deposit. I think we were asking for... I think we were actually asking for a hundred thousand deposit. I can't really remember. And they booked the home inspection and they booked, you know, they, they had a financing condition in there as well. So they did the home inspection. They show up rainy day, mud tracking all over the house, all over the whatever. And, um, they're doing the septic and, um, the agent calls me. He's like, yeah, so there's, you know, they, they want this and this done for the septic. I said, yeah, no problem. That's going to be easy for us to do. He's like, and we're just chatting. And he's like, um, have you ever paid for an inspection for your client? I'm like, no, absolutely not. If it was one of a personal client of mine or as part of the deal that we we're offering at the time, but no, I, I think I've maybe done it once in my entire career. But it, like I said, it was a family, I forget, it was a really close client of mine, investor that we worked with. And I'm like, no, that's a little weird, man. I probably wouldn't do that. And he's like, yeah, okay. Um, Cause he hasn't paid me or the inspector yet. I'm like, okay, that's odd. And I'm like, how's that deposit going? Oh, we've already sent it in. Okay, great. So I follow up with our accounting department and I'm like, hey, we're expecting a $100,000 deposit. Have you seen it? No, Andrew, no. A couple of days ago, go by. I say, look, buddy, like there's no $100,000 deposit here. There's nothing. And he's like, okay, we're going to resend it. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to resend it? This is (laughs) $100,000. Aren't you worried about where that's gone if you've already submitted it? They're like, you know, Andrew, we reversed it and we put it back. So how does that work? <laughs> I don't know. So I called the, our deals department. She's like, yep, I see it here. Next day, it's gone. What the fuck? Well, like, what is going on? And I'm like, okay, this is crazy, man. Honestly, I'm going to send a mutual release. I want this done. My clients didn't want anything to do with it. Um, they said, no, no, we're so sorry. We're going to send you the receipt. So they go back. They pretend to send another $100,000 deposit over. And they sent me the deposit slip. It was very clear that it was fake. Okay. Very clear. The date scribbled out to say 2019 or 2020. And you could see behind it that it was like a check from or receipt from like 2013. Okay. And I'm like, dude, this is fraud. You have just submitted a $100,000 deposit that was on a fake bank slip. And so, yeah, it was nuts. Um, they firmed up. Um, they sent in a deposit. Our our um, our accounting department f- secured the deposit. Then it disappeared again. How does that work? Like, how do they pull it we, out? By the time we said we we, we did the mutual release, something's funky. The deal went firm, and they were supposed to close, and they didn't close. Mm-hmm. No money was given to the sellers. No money was left in the trust account at the brokerage. Mm -hmm. Very, very weird circumstance. 
And, you know, as it turned out, they went and did this to a couple of other properties. What? It was found that there is no fin track or fraud. I'm not going to say there's no like laundering of money is what I mean. But it was they were just two crazy people putting in offers, wasting people's time. Very weird, very odd. I what? think that's, I, I have crazier stories, but I think that is the most one that's left me like, there was no closure for me because I didn't know what the hell these people were doing. Did you get paid? No. <laughs> I didn't get paid either did the other agent. How much time did you waste on that? Months. <laughs> Months. And we probably spent in total to market that property about 15 grand, 17 grand. Did you sell that property? Yeah. So eventually, all in all, I got my own buyer for the property. We had to go a little lower than the list price, but I ended up doubling in ended the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, we made more commission that way. We obviously gave the sellers a great discount, but at the end of the day, yeah, I was very stressful, happy to have sold it myself so I could control all of what I needed to control as opposed to, you know, have another agent involved that, you know, just couldn't control their clients. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. What about last story then uh, The I made it, I made it moment. Have you had multiple ones of those? I feel like most entrepreneurs probably have had those moments multiple times where they're like, this is what I've wanted to do with my life. Yeah, well, I don't, I'm not even close to being there yet, but I think within the last couple of weeks, even though, um, even though that the units, number of sales have gone down, um, our whole team is, you know, is, is working our butts off trying to make stuff happen. The market's changing. It's so much slower, even though all of that is true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we might not be making the revenue that in profit that we'd want to be making over the last couple of months. I've never felt more in place, more in line with my vision and my path than I am right now. We've completed the pilot for our show for network, awesome. network pitches. We're teaming up with some of the best in the business. And I've never felt like I'm more on my way to what the ultimate goal is, which is mm-hmm. being a global recognized brand creating that show, creating that fine life for our clients over the past five years. But I feel like we're just finally getting to what our brand really represents. Getting to the start of it. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to see where that goes then. And we'll have to talk yeah, about buddy. that on another episode. Anyways, guys, yeah. thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on for an episode of the Hustle Fun Project. It was awesome chatting with you. We'll definitely have to have you on again. I don't know Sounds what we'll good. chat about that time, but uh, thanks so much for coming on. It's been Cam from Great Media. If people wanted to reach out to you, where can they find you on social? At the real Andrew Perry on Instagram. There you go. Go give him a follow, guys. It's been Cam. I'll talk to you guys later, but until then, peace out. Peace.